This is Disabled Girls Who Lift. We are reclaiming what's rightfully ours one podcast at a time. It's Mary Beth, Chloe, and Marcia bringing you the thoughts and unpopular topics to get you out of that ableist comfort zone. Hello, hello, folks. Welcome to yet another episode of Disabled Girls Who Lift. Thanks again for joining us. Today we have myself, Marcia from South Florida. Unfortunately, our other two co-hosts couldn't make it. That's Mary Beth. We love her. And Chloe, we love her just as much. Everybody the same. There's no favorites, right? Anyways, today we're talking about ataxia. And we have another Canadian friend. So that's two Canadians and counting on Disabled Girls Who Lift. So everyone, we're going to introduce you to Courtney Ng, who is actually a co-founder of Hope for Ataxia, where they're raising awareness globally. Um, So thanks for coming, Courtney. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. Um, Thank you for the introduction. So like you said, um, I am the co-founder of Hope for Ataxia. So we started it in late 2018. It was started as a conversation between friends and it ignited into a tangible idea. And then, you know, this organization was created and we have things like support groups. Uh, we have social media, we have different fundraising campaigns and awareness campaigns. Um, so we're really excited for the future. Awesome. That sounds awesome. So you said 2018? Yeah. So this is uh, going on your second year. So, I mean, I'm sure you had like an aim and goals and thoughts and plans and then COVID happened. How yeah. how has that changed your plans for Hope for Ataxia? Yeah, so we were actually going to have our first fundraiser for um, in partnership with the Taxi Canada and it was called the Taxia Burpee Challenge. So the idea was that every burpee you do, uh, you also raise or for every dollar you raise, you do a burpee. So I've had people say, can I just, you know, pay someone so I don't have to do burpees? And I'm like, that's not the point. That's not the point. <laughs> um, and so all the funds are going to go to a taxi Canada. And okay. so they're the national organization within Canada that uh, funds research, awareness, things like that. Um, and we, were, we had to move, postpone the in-person portion of that. Um, so it's going to move to next year, but people can still definitely donate online. Okay. Are you going to try to have an online version of this event or have you kind of just totally saving it for next year? Yeah, I, we're going to totally just move it to next year. Um, there's a lot of things that we want to do in person. We want to have like a bake sale as well as part of the fundraising. Um, so we want to have the ability to do that. Yeah, yeah, that stinks. And that was going to be in Toronto, where you're yeah. from? Yeah, so, so just west of uh, the city, just in Mississauga. Okay, so I'm very Canada ignorant. So Toronto, <laughs> in- English speaking? Yeah, yeah. And is, and big city? Yes. Okay, all right, okay. I'm just <laughs> making sure I'm painting the right picture here. Um, so do you find that most of the people in your group are from your area, or are they everywhere? They're everywhere. Uh, we have a lot of people from the States. One of the things that makes us really successful is that we've done them. Um, in, we've, we have uh, online support groups. So everything is through teleconferences, whether it's, it's always been online, like a webinar, anything and like that. And that's before so, COVID. You were yeah. already doing. Oh, yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Because you guys <laughs> hipsters. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we've connected with people through like Facebook and different social media platforms. So um, it's been great. We've met people from overseas like Australia, Europe, you know, Canada, U.S. So it's, it's been great to have that sort of global awareness that we're trying to raise. And as far as Toronto goes, is it um, is it accessible? How does it work out living in Toronto? Yeah, um, in the downtown core, I would say that parts of it are. Um, I think with any major city, um, you know, there are, you know, things, but you have to find them. They're not, it's not yeah. easily. It's like taking the subway in New York. Like, a, um, yeah. sure, there's elevators, but only yeah. on this lane at this stop and this street on this <laughs> line. Exactly. It's like, well, okay, how do I find that? I've never been here before. So it's a little bit of a scavenger hunt, I guess, to really look out for those things. That's pretty relatable to what we're going through, I think. So is your group also, is it more of awareness and support or are you trying to get things more accessible or make assistance programs more accessible? Are you are you involved in that kind of projects too? Right. Yeah. So we're really focused on raising a toxic awareness globally. Um, and it's more so uh, focused on raising awareness and providing support and providing socialization. So um, with ataxia, it's a very rare uh, condition. So, you know, according to the National Tax Foundation, which is the national organization in the U.S., there's about 150 people with hereditary or sporadic ataxia. Um, and then in Canada, it's like four to five percent of that number. So it's even less. So, you wow. know, um, I don't know what the stats are in other countries because uh, some of that information isn't as available. Um, and that just shows you how rare it is. So like step one, it's like, hi, we exist. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's find each other. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There's groups that are made for that. And it's nice to be able to know what exists in your area and you could connect people to things that exist. But it's that's it's actually really hard. It's actually really hard yeah. to just exist. Step one, you know, to find yeah. people that that are living your life mm-hmm. and then figure out, OK, how do I get what I need where I'm at? Exactly. Ooh, overwhelming. Exactly. Honestly. Especially, you know, because when you're diagnosed with something like this, it's, you know, it's progressive and it's degenerative. So there is no cure. It's a chronic illness. And so um, it's difficult. You know, uh, you can be diagnosed when you're young, you can be diagnosed in older age as well. And to have that change and that adjustment in your life can really altering. And it's really isolating, you know, to have anyone who can empathize or to understand what it's go- what you're going through. Right. And as far as so you mentioned, you could be diagnosed at different ages. Mm-hmm. Do are most people, you know, when they come out the womb, they're like, mm, something's up with this baby. Or do you hit like 20 and they're like, oh, by the way. Or is it like 50s? Where, where, where are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, yeah, great question. Yeah, so it really depends on the type of ataxia. So there's a specific type um, called AT. So it's ataxia telangiastica. Um, and it's, it mostly occurs in ch- children. So like toddlers, um, very young children. And so parents might 
notice that, you know, their child's like falling over or there's some symptoms. And so they get them checked out and then, and then it goes from there in terms of a diagnosis and things. Um, For me, um, I've had it my whole life, but I didn't get symptoms until I was about 19. You can also get symptoms at an, at a young adult age. Um, It's really when you start noticing things like you might be slurring or things that you used to be doing were were easy and it was, you know, second you didn't think about it. And now they're more difficult, like running or or you're just more tired, things like that. Um, And then when you're older, you could be uh, there could be something like, you know, could be acquired as well. So um, if you were in any sort of traumatic injury, like a brain trauma, um, anything that affects the cerebellum, that part of the brain, um, you can ha- you can also have a taxi that way as well. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because like in so I'm a physical therapist and mm-hmm. when we're in school, they really teach us in general, like, all right, this part of the brains for this, this part of the brains for that. And like, oh, yeah, this could happen here. And then but in general, when it comes to ataxia, it was kind of like a symptom. So it's like, oh, there's Parkinson's, there's MS. And then maybe it looks like this. And it was like listed, you know, like under everything else. So now that I'm out in the world and on the Internet and people like you are messaging us like, hey, I have this. I'm like holy shit this is like a whole thing by itself and it fucking sucks by itself too like why have we been downplaying this <laughs> like i'm just totally mind blown that that this could be its own thing is it fairly new that these like is it genetic testing that's new and they just found it and that's why you have these numbers now um i would say no that is not fairly new uh, i think testing has developed um, and it's better now in terms of, let's say, someone was um, getting a genetic panel, uh, that sort of test, they might have developed a di- better one or a different one now versus, like, 15 years ago. So then, there and, there, and there's, like, over 60 types of a taxi. So a taxi is sort of almost like an umbrella of, like, movement disorders. And then within that, you have a bunch of different types of it. Right. So it could be um, a genetic version or it can be acquired. So um, in terms of how early it was, I think it, it started, I would say, I, it's hard. I, I, I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but I wouldn't say it's, not, it's recent. I would think so. There's a lot of things that are moving along pretty pretty quickly in the medical field. Even from the time that I went to school and I graduated um, like six years ago from the time then to now I've already learned tons of things that didn't even exist when I was in school so I can only imagine that's changing mm-hmm. is there a, a big delay for you and the people that you're meeting um, for treatment because I feel like me as a med I'm on the side of medical professional and I could see all right things are not always going to be the same I won't always understand everything Mm-hmm. But then I then I am the patient and I see a medical professional and they don't have that mindset at all. They're just like, I know things. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Is that happening to you uh, or or, you know, to your the people in your group in general? Yeah. So in terms of, um, I guess, getting diagnosed, it, it varies. Like for me, I was really lucky and it didn't take me very long. 
So I got diagnosed within a year. Um, so within that year, I was sent to different specialists and I had, it was a low waiting game, you know, waiting for the genetics test to come back for me and things like that. But um, it really depends on the type of ataxia. I do think that, you know, we are sometimes in some cases we know more than medical professionals um, because we're the experts of our own lives. Exactly. Oh my gosh, exactly. We're the experts of our own lives. Like, I know that, okay, you think I could squat heavy, that's nice, but I know two years ago (laughs) when I was down at the bottom, I didn't feel like this, or I know that the next day, you know, my butt wouldn't be spasming for half the day. Like, you know, these little things that you're living, Mm -hmm. you know that. Mm -hmm. And just have somebody tell you like, eh, like, so for me, that's pretty amazing that in under a year you got um, genetic testing. I don't know how health insurance works. Um, but for me, the only reason I got to genetic testing, which didn't answer my questions, you know, I still don't have a diagnosis, was because I had good quote unquote health insurance. Mm. So if I didn't have government insurance because my husband's oh, wow. scary, I wouldn't have gotten it. Wow. Yeah. So I'm sure that's a barrier for a lot of people that have a genetic reason for their ataxia or yeah. whatever else. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I'm being Canada is, you know, definitely different than being in the States in terms of access to the testing. Um, so what happened was for a genetics test, they told me it would cost $7,000. Mine was seventeen grand, by the way. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I remember mine was $7,000 and, um, they had to write a letter to the ministry of health so that it went to the States and that it was covered through our, through our free healthcare. Right. Otherwise, if it wasn't covered, I would pay out of pocket. And so, you know, for a lot of people, you know, that really racks up because, you know, I, I lucked out, you know, one genetics has, you know, can tell you what you have. But then it can come back and be like, well, you know, you've nothing on here. You can do another one. <laughs> yeah. You do another one. You do another one. So, you know, it really adds up in the end. And especially if you don't have, you know, those resources, it can, it's really difficult. Yeah. It's, it's really sad that this is such a barrier to just getting the answer you need. And not necessarily because we're chasing like a cure, right? We're at least just tracing the treatment. Yeah. How can you, you don't know what you have. You don't know what you need to do. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really sad there's such a big barrier. So, yeah, mine was $17,000. Wow. The only yeah. reason I didn't pay any of that is because I had good insurance. So if I had the crappy insurance that I had before, number one, it probably wouldn't have gotten approved. But number two, if it did, I would have had to pay 40% of that cost. Oh, wow. That's still a lot. That's a lot. So can you imagine how many people are out there who might not even have insurance at all? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the thing. Like, we have the numbers that we have are of people that we know of, you know, that 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 have the condition. But then there are some people that are misdiagnosed or undiagnosed. Right. Um, th- so the numbers could be a little higher. You know, we don't know. Yeah, no, that's very true. And I'm sure there's people that are. So I don't know if you listened to Christy's episode. It was a little earlier. It might have been like the fourth or fifth. Um, but she has rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. And she, she didn't get diagnosed until like you, I think 19-ish, 20s. Yeah. 
But when she looked back at her life, she was like, yo, duh. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really did that. I thought that makes so much sense. Like so many things that I thought, um, you know, I, I thought were just normal everyday occurrences for me. But after I got diagnosed, I was like, oh, that's why I'm always tired. <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. That's why I always need like naps and stuff. And, you know, like why am I always like, doesn't matter how I used to lift and I used to work out. So I was like, doesn't matter how much exercise, I still seem to be really tired and out of breath. You know, yeah. is this part of like what I'm going through? Like it, it, there were things like that for sure. Yeah, that's wild. And once you actually got your answer, like, okay, this is what's happening. Did your, how you defined yourself change? Yeah. So um, I have a neurologist that I'm going to see for life and he's going to essentially monitor my condition. Um, but the doctors don't really have a solution or a cure. There really isn't any cure for ataxia. It's more for the symptoms. So over time, you know, people can have symptoms like slurred speech, they can have like tremors, uh, gait abnormalities, like their fine motor skills might deteriorate, things might happen, they might need walking aids um, over time. So, you know, I know the advice that was given to me was make sure you exercise and you know, just continue seeing a neurologist. Drink a lot of water and then schedule your checkups. Bye. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like, I was like, okay, so really it's it's up to me to really, you know, make that sort of change and experiment with different things that might work for me. So whether it's experimenting with my diet, um, experimenting with exercise, you know, seeing what works for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And and as far as you pulling up to somebody saying, hi, I have this, I am what, what would you call yourself? A spoonie, chronically ill, disabled, do you say differently abled? Do you say nothing at all? Do you not disclose it? So it's, it's interesting because I think I'm a bit of a, a spoonie mm-hmm. in the sense that, um, you know, I guess I am, I have the fatigue. I don't have uh, chronic pain, knock on wood, um, but it's also a bit of an invisible illness for me right. at the stage of my life um, because I was diagnosed much younger and it was sort of, it was almost a coincidence how I got diagnosed because I'd gone to the doctor for something unrelated. So at this point, it's still working towards a lot of acceptance. And so a lot of the time I can sort of pass through life without, you know, really being seen as disabled or having a condition. So I would, I guess I would consider myself more so a spoonie, but that might change, you know, in like five, 10 years, you know, uh, as my symptoms progress. It's, it's an interesting conversation too, because I know that, so when we first started this podcast, Mary Beth and Chloe and I have never met. We were just like angry people on the internet, like ranting with each other. Um, and then, so when I, the funny thing is when I first started talking to Mary Beth online, I just found her literally because I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw someone deadlifting with one arm and I'm like, who the fuck is this? And like, that's how I started messaging her. And then somewhere along the line, I started having issues. And that's when I started like figuring out like, okay, uh, I think I'll call myself a spoonie now. And like, okay, am I disabled? And I would have these conversations back and forth with her. And honestly, like, yeah, 
yeah i mean i i have a job i'm still disabled like i can i can cook dinner i th- i still think i'm disabled like i can still lift weights and i, I still think i'm disabled just because it's not an obvious thing that i might not have to disclose mm-hmm. it for you i might have to disclose it for you to realize it i don't think mm-hmm. that makes it any less true yeah mm-hmm. yeah and i think um you know part of you know hope for talk to spreading awareness so you know i'd I'd love to be able to just inform people of what a taxi is if they you know notice something about me um because i think that there's a lack of knowledge um around it as a whole and so i think you know the more people understand and realize what it is and there's less misconceptions yeah. And I mean, obviously, a lot of misconceptions come from like who we are as a society, because mm-hmm. that's what that's what we taught everyone. Right. Like disabled people stay home. They don't work. They're in chairs. They can't do anything. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the picture. So as soon as you say something outside of that, they're like, eh, mm, not so right. sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it doesn't get any better being a woman and it doesn't get any better being yeah. a woman of color. Mm hmm at all so we have all these layers to always deal with yeah Uh, so I'm wondering you said you had to experiment with different things how Mm -hmm. how has the experimenting gone it's been a couple of years right yeah so (laughs) uh, um so my uh partner Mark and I uh, we both run Hover Taxi so we we've been starting this new thing we've been working out every day so we've been doing um sort of I guess a circuit we've been doing push-ups and v-ups and we've been doing uh squats and we're doing reps and everything and i go for walks and i'm finding that that helps me um in terms of just keeping my muscles going yeah i think it's really important for them not to atrophy um and we do boxing he has boxing classes Ooh, boxing's nice. And have you gotten into a lot of weightlifting or what else is there? Yoga, dance. So I haven't um, done yoga or uh, dance, but I used to lift. So um, I used to do like squat racks and, you know, like deadlifts and all of that. Um, and then and then with my condition, it was just harder and it got harder because I would involuntarily twist with like a huge weight on my body which is not great form so yeah um you know I just said to modify and so I just toned it back in terms of I mean well or just in terms of how you set up the way that you're lifting or what you're lifting there's certain things that you won't do now I'm guessing yeah I mean um you know for me it's definitely you know making sure I have even balance so if I'm carrying something that's really heavy sometimes it might help to have like some weight on my body to feel more grounded um but you know making sure that I just you know don't have too much of a heavy weight that I'm lifting um and making sure that I have stability in my core um I think that's been really important for me in terms of my balance yeah yeah that's a tricky one I know personally for me there's a a lot of few things here and there that that I'll that I've learned that work best. So um, besides lifting, I also do strongman and they're moving events. So farmers carry, you pick up something, you have to pretty much briskly walk. Um, A yoke carry is like on your back. Mm -hmm. And when I first started doing it, my legs would always cross. I'd hit the ground every time. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I didn't wow. know where those feet were every time. So then I figured out, okay, like as a therapist, I'm like thinking, okay, they taught us that stroke patients don't know where their feet are and we could put a weight on it. Maybe I'll try that. I don't know where my feet are. And then I found that that worked for me. Mm-hmm. Just something that simple. So there's like a lot of little tweaks and like there's always not everything has to be a hard no. Maybe it's like, um, maybe let's figure this out. Yeah, exactly. And there's so much gray. I mean, the thing is, um, because there's so many different types of ataxia and they, the symptoms really vary, there's never one hard and fast rule. Like, if you take this, it's going to cure everything. If you take yeah. this, you know, it's going to work. So, you know, experimenting with what works for you. You know, yoga might work really well for someone, but it might not work for someone who has a mobility aid. Um, yeah. So... Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Um, what else is there? I mean, I'm I'm interested in you're saying so if you put if you started squatting and you had trouble with twisting, so is it like you have a lot of tone or is that more of you trying to fire a muscle and you just get the wrong one? I'm or actually not really sure. I'm really I I'm actually not sure how it happened because I would uh, I remember I would used to you know lift it up with the weight and. And I guess like my body would just uh, just shift as I was getting as as moving up. I don't know how. Yeah, it and could I be either thing. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you think you're straight, and they're like, Courtney, you're facing the wall. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, oops. <laughs> like <laughs> that's your backside. <laughs> oh, whoops! I thought I had it. For you, are you um like one side dominant, or is it like little here and there, or is it pretty equal? Um, so I am a uh, right side dominant. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's interesting because I do tests with my neurologist and I do physio as well. And sometimes I can be stronger on my left side. So if I'm like trying to hold a pose um, or if I'm stepping up on a stair or something, my left, my left leg might be stronger than my right and I'm able to hold better balance. So it's it's hard to say it's hard to figure out yeah I think that's the other part too when you have well I mean if you have just clearly one side that's weaker then you're like all right I need to focus on the weak side but when you're like kind of like parting it out like oh, my right hand's weaker in the grasp but then my left knee is less stable that's kind of where I am. It's like, all right, but then this foot always collapses. Uh, like you have to keep a mental note of all of these. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's exactly. really long. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you were into fitness before. For somebody else that has this long list of trying to keep track of what's what, what, what would be your advice for fitness? Um, yeah, so I, I know what worked for me was going to physiotherapy, um, taking walks. I think it's, it's, uh, that's worked for me. I know for some people that they might have more aggressive forms of taxi. It's, it's different story. It's harder to be, have that, um, to be able to walk and have the same mobility. So I think it has to be taken on a case by case basis in terms of, you know, what they're able to do. Well, I think if it's possible that most people, could probably start out with, like you said, a physiotherapist, and they can help them figure out, like, this is how your body moves now. Mm-hmm. And maybe from there they could figure out what, what works with them in fitness. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I think, um, you know, ataxia is, is, a, is a specific condition with so many different symptoms that, you know, having, you know, a PT that has, 
you know, some knowledge of neurologic conditions, whether it's something similar like Parkinson's or MS, something along those lines uh, can be really helpful. Definitely. I think so. I think that would probably be a good starting point. If someone has absolutely no idea whatsoever, just maybe start with a medical professional and like find your body first and figure that out. But I do also wonder, so ataxia is a movement disorder, mm-hmm. but are there other things that come along with it or, you know, different types that have, um, for example, we just talked to someone, well, her episode should be out by the time this is out, and she has whole orum syndrome, which comes with like a different shape of arms, but also tacked along with that is heart problems. You wouldn't think that's related. So is your disorder related or, you know, the genetic ones? I don't mean the acquired ones. The genetic disorders come with something else? So um, the symptoms can range from anything from, like, just lack of coordination, slur speech, and then having trouble eating and swallowing, difficulty walking, tremors, even heart problems, eye, um, eye movement problems. Um, and it's because... There, it affects the cerebellum, which is like the powerhouse of the balance of coordination of the brain. And as um, the disease progresses, other parts also get affected. So that's why the symptoms can also expand as well. Yeah, so things like, you know, like swelling can be affected and, you know, even heart, heart problems and things like that. But with different types, it's also hard to say. Um, with my specific type, um, I really won the lottery. Uh, <laughs> so um, I have a recessive type of ataxia. So both my parents are carriers. And they both had to give me the gene so right. that I actually show ataxia. So it's it, I had a one in four chance of actually getting it. Um so with uh, anything that's dominant, you just have to have one copy of the gene. So it's a damaged, it's a damaged gene. It's like a mutated gene, essentially, that's being passed down through the family. Right. So mm-hmm. you got your one in four. Yeah. Uh, and, and like you said, it's progressive, meaning that over time it's going to change. Mm-hmm. So does it change in one direction or can you get worse and better, worse and better? It's hard to say. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to get worse. The prog- the rate might be slower. So, um, you know, I, could, I might still be walking in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then somewhere else, a different type of attack, it might not be. Right. So um, it could. It, I think it's more the rate. Right. There's also the, the chance that people probably just don't know, right? <laughs> There's only a a couple of hundred of you. Like, how many studies could there have been on what happens, you know, after 30 years with it? They might just not know. Yeah, and they're still discovering types of attacks out there. So, um, you know, like, my type is so rare. There's so many different types out there um, that, like you said, there's not a lot of studies. And, um, and, you know, the symptoms can be all over the board. Well, what is your background? Like, what did you go? Did you go to school? Are you working? What do you What are you up to separate from Hope from Ataxia? Yeah, yeah. So I am currently working. Uh, I work full time right now. Um, I work in office jobs, so I'm mostly sitting at a desk. Um, and 
I went to university, so I did psych and I did health studies. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm asking because I'm wondering. So in in this whole situation, now you have a you had a one in four chance to get something. Now you got it. Super yeah. rare. Nobody knows anything about it. So do you find yourself doing a lot of searching into research or looking things up on your own? Definitely. So when I first got diagnosed, it was tough because, you know, I was 25, uh, young uh, Asian female. Uh, No one I knew had what I had. Um, It originated out of uh, Quebec. So it's named after an area in Quebec called Beauce, Quebec. Mm -hmm. And that's where it came from. The people that were understudied, there's like, there's, I think there were five or six people. I'm not sure. They're still living. So we don't even know what the end result is. Right. Um, my doctors don't know what my end result will be, what the progression is going to look like. So it was it was difficult because when you look online, it's, it can be really intense. It can lead to, like, death or something. It's, you know, when, <laughs> yeah. when you look things up, it's always, you know, it's like, wow. So, you know, finding online communities and getting connected with different people um, definitely helped. Definitely, because it's a rare disease, um, connecting with people um, through social media, globally, finding out that there are people around the world who are also young and who are diagnosed um, really helped create that connection. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure it has. I know for me, a lot of it has, so I, you know, like I said, I'm a physical therapist, so I've gone to school, and I know what research is, and I know how to look it up and look into it, so I, I probably do, every day, I'm probably looking up random articles all the time, just on random stuff, like, I might see a commercial for, I don't know, a cryo tank, and I'd be like, oh, is that gonna be good for me? I'll just go on PubMed, cryotherapy, muscle spasms, and just, like, <laughs> scroll, like, like, this wasn't my life before. <laughs> <laughs> this is that's this is my this is my reality now like I'm just always randomly looking shit up Mm -hmm. yeah definitely it's like it's like now it's like oh you know I'm gonna look what does this definition mean oh you know and I also think about it in terms of how other people are are feeling so isolated as well and you know the more information I have you know I can hopefully better support other people who might have been in the same situation I was feeling lost and confused and not knowing what to do and it's so tough because I feel like that like that at its very core is super noble right like I want to teach myself something and I'm going to share it with other people so they could catch up to speed we go on this journey together kind of a vibe like super noble but I and I really hope that like you keep on pushing there but it sucks because there are people that say that Mm-hmm. But what they're doing is not coming from that real place, you know? Like, mm-hmm. in the end, they're just trying to sell you, like, a fucking diet book. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that can happen, I guess. Yeah. It's really nice to hear someone that actually means it. <laughs> I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Because it's hard. It's hard. Imagine that you're that lost. Cause you, and you can, because you were. Maybe you still are a little bit. Like, we're not totally figuring this out. Like, you know, you're that lost person, and you go online, and somebody's like, I'll help you. And you go on their little click funnel website, and you sign up for their newsletter. Then you get, like, five spammy emails every day. And the next thing you know, they're, like, selling you a book. They're selling you something to the Facebook group. Like, they're selling, like, oh. Yeah, you know, it can, it can be uh, hard to navigate sometimes, for sure. 
But how do you, I mean, it's a pretty rare disorder, so maybe that's how you set yourself apart. But how how do you think that you guys set yourself apart to not be, okay, Hope for a Taxi is legit. They're here for us. They're not just trying to sell us something. Yeah. So I think uh, what really makes us apart from everyone else is that, you know, we're, we built a rapport with the people that we know. And we really publish things that are from personal experiences. So we have a really great uh, blog that we started called Faces of Ataxia, where we'll interview caregivers, people with ataxia, and we try to share user stories. And so that's really something about us. We don't really, we don't focus on research. We don't uh, focus on, you know, funding care, but really it's providing the support and, and really showing other people different stories of other people that can relate to as well. So like what your your mission of what you're doing is very clear by the actions that you're taking. Like, hello, we exist. Hi, these are some stories and like that's it. I think I think that's probably what makes it pretty clear that you guys are, are trying to do something good. And I hope that that's what we show also on our pages. Like, sure, we sell some shirts, you know, like we got stickers. But at the end of the day, like we're not trying to be a clothing company, right? Like we're mm-hmm. just trying to make a community of disabled girls that lift weights or do yoga or just do some burpees or whatever, wherever it is. And they couldn't find anywhere else to kind of explore their that part of themselves. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad stuff like this is popping up and I hope more of it pops up. I hope the people trying to sell shit just go away. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was funny because the way I found you guys was I was looking at podcasts in the disability community and I came across your website and I thought, wow, you know, you guys are really making an impact and a positive impact. And that's something that, you know, we really look for for Hover Taxi and we, we do our support groups and we have speakers that come on. We look for people that you know, are active and they're inspirational, motivational. And and I think the big thing is, you know, people see people with disabilities as other, as they can't. And we want to show that you can rise above that. You can actually do more than what people will think you can do. And it's funny because it's like, yes, we want to be inspirational, but we mean that like to ourselves, (laughs) you know? (laughs) (laughs) like like I'm like you're gonna inspire me the other disabled person to know that I can do more like because inspiration porn is a different conversation that's not what we're talking about just so everyone's clear (laughs) just to make sure that's that's pretty awesome that that you mentioned how you found this though but you'd be surprised and I'm sure you you have some of that on your end how many people just message us like yo you guys exist like I have this random disorder you were talking about in this one episode and I feel so seen like oh that's amazing I mean that's so great that's amazing if 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 anyone can hear this and, and says oh hey I have a taxi too like that where it starts you know yeah, because like you said before, this is a lonely place to be. It really yeah. is. Mm-hmm. And and you might have people around you that it's not that they don't care, but like they just can't understand what you're going through. Exactly, yeah. And I think the way society is structured makes it hard for uh, that sort of dialogue to happen as well. Yeah, that's true. And, and uh, so you mentioned your partner. You guys run Hope for Ataxia. Do you have mm-hmm. a support system? 
Do you have friends and family near you that are helping you or know what you have going on? Yeah, so I live with my parents and my mom is my my caregiver. So she really helps me keep me on track with my diet and uh, she takes walks with me. And so she's really involved in everything I'm going through. I actually recently told my extended family about like probably about seven months ago. So it's it's kind of fresh th- there and it took me a while. I think for me, acceptance is definitely an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. You know, um, for me, because some I'm, I'm experiencing some symptoms, but I know that it's progressive. I'm accepting them as my life changes. And I'm adjusting right. to that. So it's right. definitely something that is ongoing. And I think, you know, I want to let everyone know that it's okay to be in that sort of gray area and to accept it every day. So you've just gotten into disclosing it to extended family. Are they mm-hmm. kind of confused or because definitely. you're okay, like your parents are with you every day. Maybe they'll catch on. Yeah, I mean, I think even even my parents when well, actually, when I first got diagnosed, like, what is this? Like, what is this? And then it all went back to, okay, well, that's why there needs to be more awareness. I mean, no one knows what it is. I told my extended family, and it's hard to grasp because I don't have a mobility aid. So right. it's not that you can physically see the difference. It's hard to explain. Um, and I think there's that is, it might also be a cultural thing as well. Uh, in terms of, you know, having that language of disability mm-hmm. um, and having that sort of uh, conversation as well. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely difficult in, in that lack of sort of understanding and knowledge. And so that really made me think, okay, this is why we need to have more awareness. Definitely. And is that is your is mostly family in Canada or are they elsewhere? When you say cultural, do you mean like a Western idea or Eastern or whatever. I'm so lost on geography right now. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You get what I mean, I hope. (laughs) I do. Um, So um, most of my family is actually overseas. I have a lot of family in Hong Kong Mm -hmm. um, and some in Singapore. So they're kind of spread out on the East uh, and in East Asia. I'm really grateful that, you know, my mom has been my greatest supporter and, you know, um, she's definitely been everything um, loving towards me and and she's definitely ridden the waves uh, as I've gone through it as well. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's amazing. Like, I know for me and personally, I know that there's certain people in my life that don't understand my illness they don't understand what I need out of life they don't understand what I'm doing with my life and I created like they're not going to hold that space for me then that's all Mm -hmm. and I'll you know either I'll find that for myself or I'll find that in somebody else but like the space of like needing the support of I'm going through this illness and I need some help they're not going to hold it for me yeah and and um yeah definitely you know it's it's definitely a, a hard for um other people as well you know it definitely speaks to their own experiences and yeah. what, you know, it can be really uncomfortable for some people. It can sure. be. Yeah. But that's, that's why we exist and these kind of groups exist because you mm-hmm. can find somebody halfway across the world. That's like, yeah, me too, man. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, 
it because it's hard. It's, it's, ugh, it's such a lonely place and you need to have that somebody or someone out there holding that space for you. And if you haven't found it yet out there, I hope you do because it does make all the difference. We really can't conquer this all on our own. Yeah, I mean, it helps so much to have that socialization and that someone who understands exactly what you're going through and having that connection. It means the world, you know, makes the it makes going through this journey a little bit easier. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure. I'm sure it does. I'm I'm glad that you have your parents with you and you kind of have someone to go along that journey with you because that could be pretty scary knowing that, okay, maybe this will get worse. I don't know when, I don't know how. Do you find yourself with a lot of anxiety on that or are you still in that? Because you talk about accepting it every mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. But does it keep you up at night? Um, it doesn't keep me up at night, thankfully. Um, I think um, I'm, I'm very you know happy with where I am right now and I'm really happy with uh, the community we've created with Hope for a Taxi, and that's what keeps me going. Yeah. Um, I think that, um, you know, knowing more people and, and just having more knowledge, I think a lot of it is just, you know, understanding what might be coming and, and you know, taking it day by day. Yeah, that's all you could do, kind of try to find peace somewhere. As I know, I was talking to Andrea in a different episode, um, and she has some of the things that I probably have. Who knows? But that does keep her up at night. Like, she does wonder, like, oh, what if they miss this? And then all of a sudden I have a heart attack. Like, she like she really mm-hmm. hasn't found that. Do you have any advice for someone in that moment or in that space, I guess? Wow, that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> I think... Um, it's it's tough for me because I I think I'm still going through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something that I will definitely be dealing with at some point. And I think you know having a strong support system. I mean I think like for me that's what I'm going to lean on is having people that I can talk to, having uh, family friends that that you know they might not understand exactly what you're going through, but having someone who's able to listen and and be there. I think that means a lot and definitely going online, social networks, you know, people who are in the exact same situation can also provide some comfort. Yeah, for sure. And do you find yourself seeking like mental health services or do you meditate on your own or do you journal or anything like that? So I don't uh, meditate, um, but I think uh, therapy is definitely something everyone should have. I I um, have a background and um, I really care a lot about like social work and mental health. And so right. I think that everyone should just have a therapist. I think that'd be great. Um, I think uh, definitely, you know, to have someone to talk to is, is a great outlet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we, we try to explore that a little bit because there's so much also... Like with every intersection that you add in your life, there's like more trauma that you deal with. There's this trauma of disability. Mm -hmm. There's a trauma. I'm sure you encounter racism and I'm sure you encounter sexism. And there's all of these things that you have to unpack. And like if you don't have someone to talk to or or if you feel like you need someone that doesn't know who you are at all Mm -hmm. just to help you figure out how to get through it. That's what therapy is great for, honestly. Definitely, yeah, and I think there's 
uh, still sort of a bit of a stigma around that. And, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, seeking out help and, and being okay with that. And there's really nothing wrong with that. You know, everyone, no, not at all. You know, whatever you need. There's nothing at all wrong with it. I think there's a lot of hang-ups about it. Like, oh, if I see a shrink, I'm not crazy. Like, no, it's not. Everybody has everybody has a mind and everybody's dealing with something. So yeah. everyone could have therapy. Yeah. Uh, um, so in your, we're uh, kind of close to one hour here. So I do want to circle back to, um, you mentioned you have stuff online for the group for Hope mm-hmm. for Ataxia. Mm-hmm. Is this regularly scheduled stuff like every month we meet on this and talk or do you have guests or there online discussions? How yeah. are you organized? Yeah, so we have our we have a weekly support group every Friday uh, at, at uh, 3 and 6 p.m. And then every 14 weeks we'll have uh, guest speakers. So we have five sessions um, and we have five to accommodate different time zones so people are overseas and like that so we have from 9 a.m um all the way to 9 p.m um so we have five during the day and um we find people who are in the disability community who are really positive and make a positive impact nice that yeah. sounds awesome and where what's the best way for someone to find out about this stuff website facebook like where should they go first yeah definitely so our facebook page is the best uh place to find us so we are at hope for ataxia on facebook uh we also have a website so we have our faces of ataxia blog there uh we have you can sign up for any of our support groups there as well um so it's hopeforataxia.org and we also, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. We're Hope for Taxia. Perfect. And again, thanks for reaching out to us. I'm glad you found us. I'm glad we found you. Yeah. Uh, I do want to make it clear that once you come on this podcast, you are now a disabled girl who lifts. This is a community. <laughs> you are now in the family. So you want to come back and chat. You come back. Uh, we do. Well, because of this whole COVID situation, we've been doing more online things. Mm -hmm. If you want to be online with us, come hop on our Instagram, whatever, what have you. You want to talk about anything at all, we're here. You want to blog on our thing, whatever. You want to make a t-shirt together. I don't know. Whatever you want. (laughs) You can't get rid of us now. That's the point. Oh, that's great. I'll look forward to it. Yeah. Um, anything I mean we talked about so many things here hope for ataxia ataxia itself a little bit about Toronto because I don't know anything about Canada (laughs) you know disclosure identity mental health so many things but is there any like one random thing that you just wanted to get out that we missed um so yeah we've covered a lot of things and I you know um I don't really have anything to add I think if you have any questions or anything you can always Find us on Facebook and leave us a comment. Um, it was great to be on this podcast and, you know, great to share my story and to be able to spread some more awareness. Yeah, definitely. We all love to hear it. And if you have a taxia and have specific questions, you could find Courtney and hit her up, talk to her, maybe join the support group, maybe have a little fun finding people like you or like the um i don't know if you, if you ever watch arrested development but we're like the never nudes man we gotta <laughs> find each other <laughs> oh man all right disabled girls out I-
Thanks for listening to Disabled Girls Who Left. We appreciate all of your support and everyone who's taken the time to show us some love. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, or write a review of our channel. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Player FM, Google Podcasts, and more. You can also find us on Instagram at Disabled Girls Who Left.